just so you know. All right, well, so glad you're here tonight. So glad those of you that are joining us online. We want to welcome you as well. So, all right, you guys, here's the deal. Um, chapter 50. Oh, good. That was a little better. <laughs> Man, you guys, you're going to have treasures in heaven, you know. You're... You have like a, as they say, a glutton, you're a glutton for punishment. <laughs> this is kind of a punishing chapter, literally, in more ways than one. But we're going to gut through it and get through it and really looking forward to it. So why don't we pray and we'll ask God to bless our time together, if you would join with me. Father in heaven, thank you so, so, so much. Oh, Lord, who is like unto you, oh God? Oh, Lord. This time that we have on Thursday nights together to fellowship, worship, and spend time in your word under the teaching of your word is it's really for us uh, the highlight of our week. And we so look forward to it and look forward to what you have for us in this time together. But Lord, tonight, maybe more so, we desperately need for your Holy Spirit to help us, to teach us, to enable us to understand this and especially this chapter and even the chapter after it, Lord willing, next week. But Lord, we, we know it's here for a reason and we also know that you're going to minister that reason to us in our time together in your word. And and Lord, we want to give you our undivided attention because there's just so many things clamoring for our attention, whether it's secular, even sacred. And Lord, we don't want anything taken our attention from you and from your word and that which you have for us tonight here in your word. So Lord, speak as only you can and are always so faithful to we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, so chapters 50 and 51 are prophecies against Babylon. Let me just real quick put this into perspective. So last week, chapter 49, we had the prophecies, the judgments against two, three, four, five nations in one chapter. We got one nation in two chapters, and if you haven't noticed, they're, sh they're not short chapters, they're very long chapters. So we're going to be here for a while. I'm just kind of setting you up so that you're not uh, blindsided. Uh, big chapters, and rightfully so. Uh, they need to be, but these are prophecies against Babylon that were prophesied prior to the time that Judah was taken captive. And I point this out because chapter 50 in particular speaks to how God's timing is always perfect. It's been said that God is never late, but neither is He early. And truth be made known, we don't want Him to be. Because God's timing is such that He knows the exact time, the perfect time, and His time is not our time. His ways are not our ways. And God will always do what God is going to do in His way and in His time for His glory. And if we but knew what God knows, that's what we would want Him to do. I hope you don't tire of me saying this, but when it comes to prayer, it is of paramount importance to understand that God will always answer our prayers the same exact way and at the same exact time that we would answer our own prayers if we knew what He knew. Um, one more thing, just real quick. Uh, I got a few more, one more thing, so you're going to have to bear with me on this. 
there's this one quip. I heard it many years ago, and it's kind of always stuck with me and served me well in this regard. If the timing is wrong, God says slow. If the request is wrong, God says no. If I'm wrong, God says grow. But if the timing is right, and the request is right, and I'm right, God says go. We want God to say go. We want the green light, as it were. But sometimes, okay, most of the time, <laughs> maybe I'll speak for myself, God doesn't give us the green light, He gives us the yellow light. Now you know what a yellow light means, right? Not slow down. And that's what we do. We become very impatient, and we run the yellow light slash red light, and we get ahead of God, and oh, <laughs> to our own peril. Can I get a witness here? So it's not, yeah, okay, good. I just want to make sure it's, it's not just me. But, but here's the thing. When God does what God does when He does it, when, key word, it's always in such a fashion that we're like, oh God, thank you. Oh, thank you, Lord. Your timing is perfect, because had you done it earlier, it would have been catastrophic. How many times have you gone through your prayer list and looked at those prayers you pray, which is, by the way, a very good thing to do. And you look at that prayer and you're like, oh God, I thank you for not answering that prayer the way I prayed it, and when I prayed that you would answer it. Because had you done that at that time, it would, and God's like, I know, I was trying to tell you that. Just wait. Wait on the Lord. He makes all things beautiful in His time. As we're about to see, God will judge Babylon and restore Israel in His time, in His way, and for His glory. Now, this is what I mean by, you're going to have to bear with me. Before we get started, I think I'd be grossly remiss if I didn't address the elephant in the room. And I'm not the elephant. Uh, the elephant is Babylon. And let me explain. There is much in the way of debate as it relates to who Babylon is and where ba Babylon is in terms of Bible prophecy. And this is specific to two more chapters in the book of Revelation during the seven-year tribulation, Revelation chapter 17 and chapter 18, dealing with religious Babylon and economic Babylon. So there's much discussion about, well, who is Babylon? And where is Babylon? Is it, the, is it just the, the system? the B system, as sometimes uh, it's referred to? No. And that's the debate. The specificity of the prophecies here in Jeremiah, in these two chapters, as well as others, Isaiah is one, point to a yet future fulfillment subsequent to this historic fulfillment here in Jeremiah, in the year 539 BC. And we know this because at the time Babylon fell to the Medo-Persian Empire, the prophecies foretelling the complete destruction of Babylon were not yet fulfilled. Uh, as we go through this chapter tonight, and Lord willing, the chapter 51 next week, I want you to view this chapter through this lens. What lens? This lens that there's this specificity concerning the complete and utter destruction of Babylon that is yet future. What happened in 659 BC when the Medo-Persians 
took over and captured Babylon does not satisfy the specificity of the prophecies here in Jeremiah, which can only lead one to one conclusion. This has not yet been fulfilled. There's a yet future fulfillment concerning the prophecies of judgment against Babylon. And this actually ties into another debate concerning Babylon in Bible prophecy, and it has to do with a literal Babylon, and by extension the geographical location of Babylon. Doubtless many of you are aware that there's no shortage of interpretation, or better said speculation, in this regard. There are many who suggest that America is Babylon. Um, some suggest that it's Jerusalem. The majority view, I think, is that it is a revived Roman Empire. And this is due in part to what we just studied in First Peter, when Peter references that he writes from Babylon. And it's believed that when he said that and wrote that first letter, he was actually in Rome. So Rome was sort of uh, referred to as Babylon. But there's a problem, because there is also the possibility, I would even say probability, that he was actually in Babylon, not Rome, when he said Babylon. I know that's shocking. <laughs> I write from you, to you from Babylon. Are you in Rome? No, I'm in Babylon. I just told you. What, what, what is your problem? Everything now is allegorized and spiritualized. No, I'm in Babylon. You want me to send you, text you a photo of, no, I can't do that. We don't have that yet. Now, <laughs> please know that it is not my intention to go in depth into this tonight, or for that matter, next week. However, as we go through, through these two chapters, again, I think we would do well to understand the importance of this. And by that I mean Babylon's historic fall in the past, which we're going to see in Jeremiah tonight, reinforces Babylon's prophetic fall in the future, reinforces it, confirms it, yet future, during the seven-year tribulation. Now, to the question of who and where is Babylon, I would really encourage you to search the Scriptures yourself and be a Berean, rightly dividing the word of truth. Um, for those who are interested, Dr. Andy Woods has written an outstanding book on Babylon, and he makes a compelling and I would add convincing argument from Scripture, from Scripture, that Babylon is literal in modern-day Iraq, the plains of Shinar, about 50 miles out of the capital of Baghdad. Now, in all the years that I've studied Bible prophecy and taught Bible prophecy, I've always kept my eyes on Iraq, specifically Babylon, especially when Saddam Hussein was alive. He had already started this effort to rebuild Babylon. In fact, there were bricks with uh, Nebuchadnezzar on one side and Saddam Hussein on the other. There were huge billboards. You might remember seeing this. Uh, there were huge billboards where Saddam Hussein would liken himself to King Nebuchadnezzar. And his dream was to restore ancient Babylon. And there was actually efforts in place. And there, <laughs> they've made some, some headway. Uh, sadly, we don't hear about what's really happening there. This is going to uh, be key here in a moment. But uh, I would tend to agree with, and it doesn't matter who agrees with who, what matters is, are we in agreement with Scripture? And that's why I say he makes the convincing argument from Scripture. So this is not forcing on the text or inserting into the text what you see 
happening currently, presently, geopolitically. It's searching the scriptures, understanding the scriptures, and then taking that and superimposing that template on what's happening in the world. There are those, I'm going to pick a little bit on the, um, eh, maybe that's not nice of me, so I won't do that. How do I say it so more lovingly? Um, I can't. I can't think of a way. That's, that's horrible. can't think of a way to say this. Uh, well, let me try this. Those who would suggest that Babylon, the Babylon in Revelation 17 and 18, is anything but literal Babylon in modern day Iraq, do great injustice because they're taking the geopolitical situation of today and they're superimposing that on the text. And the grave error in doing so is that you misinterpret the text and you in effect supersede the text. And the text should supersede what is happening in the world. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. Um, I realize that many take issue with this literal interpretation of ancient Babylon being in modern day Iraq. But I would humbly remind you that prior to 1948, the prophetic interpretation concerning Israel being literal was viewed in the same way. And we know how that all worked out, right? I mean, it was inconceivable, no way. It's not literal. That's why they spiritualized it. It must be an allegory, an analogy, a, a spiritual, it's spiritual Israel. It's a spiritual rebirth of Israel. Uh, no. It sounds to me like you're looking at the land, the promised land, and you're looking at the Jews. And oh, by the way, on the heels of the Holocaust, you're thinking, no way. No way. You mean to tell me the Bible says that this is literal? That Israel will return to their ancient homeland and be reborn as a nation? I know Isaiah prophesies that, and prophecy is replete with prophecies about the return of Israel. And certainly you have the Savior referring to it in the Gospels. But prior to 1948, I just don't see how. I know the Bible says it, but I just don't see how it's possible. Is that not what we're doing with Babylon? No way. Iraq is, is going to be Babylon. Uh, you're going to move everything from New York? Well, are you going to move everything from Geneva? Yeah. You, you think that can't happen? Well, if you were alive before 1948, first of all, you're old. <laughs> but if you were alive before 1948, you would have, uh, that's horrible. I'm being really, I better stop and move on here. God, it's a gift. It's a gift. Um, this actually brings me full circle to how this chapter speaks to how God's timing is always perfect. Ironically, much of the difficulty with the literal interpretation is that it seemingly delays God's prophetic time clock by virtue of how Iraq presently is inconsequential geopolitical, geopolitically. That's why it's inconceivable. That's why it would have been pre-1948 inconceivable to imagine that Israel would return as a nation in one day. That must, certainly this must be a, a spiritual, we have to spiritualize it because it cannot be literal. Oh, yes it can, and yes it was. Now, to do this, to, to again superimpose the inconceivability of a literal Iraq 
is to err greatly, given that, again, our timing is not God's timing. And I want you to think this through with me. Listen very carefully. I, I really th was thinking about this today. In light of how fast what's happened has happened in the last three years, you don't think this could happen fast? Because that's the issue, right? It's a timing issue. And for those taking issue with the timing issue, may I again humbly suggest that literal Babylon can be rebuilt as quickly as the literal third temple in Jerusalem can be rebuilt. Make no mistake about it. And I'll take it a step further and suggest that Bible prophecy is replete with details about the swiftness with which last day's events will come to pass. And it's evidenced by the birth pains analogy, this from the Apostle Paul, and infinitely more importantly, from the Savior Himself. Bible prophecy is associated with a woman in labor, and the labor pains which come in greater frequency, faster, and greater intensity. And, and, and you've heard me talk about it. I know you know this, but real quick in Revelation, a couple of times Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly. That word quickly is where we get our English word for the tachometers that we have in our cars, RPMs, revolutions per minute. In other words, things are going to rev up, go so much faster. And I just think back and reflect on the last three years, not two years. Remember, we had this conversation last week, three years. And I think about how fast things changed not even in three years, one year, how fast everything changed, never to return as it was ever again, in just a short period of time. And you're telling me, and, and again, going back to the rebirth of Israel as a nation, Isaiah prophesied that it would, can a nation be born in a day? Uh, actually, yeah, literally, yeah. May 14th was the day, 1948 prophecy fulfilled. Check that off your box. So you're saying that this prophecy about a literal Babylon, that can be fulfilled? Yeah, get ready with the pen to check that. Well, you're not going to be here to check the box. You better not be here to check the box. This is after the rapture in the tribulation. One more thing on this. I better hurry. Um, it's more on a, on a personal note as it relates to teaching Bible prophecy, which I've been doing for many years now. Uh, hear me out and hear my heart on this. So over the years, God has done a deep work in my life personally when it comes to Bible prophecy, such that when it comes to Bible prophecy, teaching Bible prophecy, the application must be birthed out of the information. Um, let me say the same thing in a different way. When teaching Bible prophecy, I can get up here, and I've probably been just as guilty as the next guy doing this. I can come up here and just, I mean, it's like drinking water off a fire hose sometimes. I can just, you know, spout off all of these, you know, prophetic scriptures and try to connect the prophetic dots. And, and at the end of the day, all it is, is just information. But what God has done in my life in this regard is He's caused me to just be still before Him and inquire of Him how does Bible prophecy like that which I'm going to teach, like tonight, apply to me when the alarm clock goes off tomorrow morning? See, if there's, there's no application, all it is, is, is information. And I've done you a great disservice. In fact, I would even say I've wasted your time, because Many of you, like me, we're going through some real life issues here. 
and a prophecy teaching on Isaiah 17 concerning Damascus, Syria, which we referenced last night, or even in the case of tonight's prophecy in Jeremiah 50 concerning Babylon in Iraq. Um, that's great information. That's exciting. Um, but why and what does that have to do with me? Because when that alarm clock goes off tomorrow morning, I'm, I'm facing some really serious issues in my life. And I need to know how this is going to help me. What, what does God want me to see in this? How does this apply to my life? This is why I've changed much of my approach as of late. Uh, for what I hope would be deemed obvious reasons, namely that of the teaching and explaining of Bible prophecy, always having the intended end of applying it to our lives as a testimony of Jesus, who is the spirit of prophecy. By the way, that's the title of Sunday's update, Lord willing, out of Revelation 19.11. It should always bring me closer to Jesus. It should always, that's this, Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It should, all, that's the purpose of prophecy. The purpose of prophecy is to point me to the person of Jesus Christ. And if a prophecy teacher does any kind of prophecy teaching, and it, it doesn't do that, then it's not the spirit of prophecy. All it is is information. And, and here I am, I, I've just got the diagnosis from the doctor that I need to get my affairs in order. I just got the uh, notice from my wife that she's leaving me and she never wants to see me again. And you want to talk about uh, this prophecy? Uh, Jesus help me. Jesus help me. It's been said that knowledge is just information, but wisdom is the application of that information. This is the applying of God's Word. This is what James says about the, the doing of God's Word. This is what Jesus said in that parable of the two builders, the putting into practice of God's Word, the applying of God's Word. So we've got before us tonight this prophecy concerning <laughs> Babylon, both past and yet future. And Every word in God's Word is there for a reason. It's not like God needs to fill up a couple more chapters in the book of Jeremiah. No, this is here for a reason. What's that reason? What does God want to speak into my life? How does this apply to my life? And that's why I'm more sensitive, I guess. I'm very sensitive um, to the application to our lives. So how does this apply? Well, I think the reason why this chapter, one of the reasons, there's many, but one of the reasons why we have a chapter like this in our Bibles, and we'll see next week there's a, another reason why we have that chapter, chapter 51 in our Bibles. I really believe that it's God's way of saying, um, I know what I'm doing, and my timing is perfect. Because you have to understand that when this prophecy was written, it was prior to when Judah was taken into captivity. And can you imagine, we're going to see this in a moment, we will get to the chapter, or is it time to close in prayer yet? Not yet. <laughs> can you imagine how they would have been so encouraged when they realized that the time had come, because there's a 70 year debt that we owe God for the 490 years that we did not give the land a Sabbath rest. So there's a 70 year timeline. And once that 70 years is completed, time's up. God's timing is perfect. Seven, the number of completion. He has completed that which He was wanting to accomplish in having us be taken captive 
into Babylon. Okay, that was a very long introduction. I hope you're okay. Are you? All right. Verse 1. Ready? Let's do this. The word that the Lord spoke against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet. Declare among the nations, proclaim and set up a standard. Proclaim, do not conceal it. Don't hold back. Say, Babylon is taken. Bel is shamed. That was one of their gods. Maradach is broken in pieces. That was another one of their gods. You know you're in trouble when your god can be broken into pieces. Just saying. Her idols are humiliated. Her images are broken in pieces. For out of the north a nation comes up against her, which shall make her land desolate, and no one shall dwell therein. They shall move, they shall depart, both man and beast. And watch verse 4. In those days and in that time. There it is. We're going to see that a few more times. In those days and in that time. In other words, time's up. The days come, says the Lord. The children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together, with continual weeping they shall come and seek the Lord their God. They shall, verse 5, ask the way to Zion with their faces toward it, saying, Come and let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that will not be forgotten. Wow, mission accomplished. Lesson learned. What was the lesson? Oh, Judah, you seem to love your idols. You love idols, do you? I'm going to send you to idol capital of the world, Babylon. Oh, you're going to get your fill of idols. And when the time has come, <laughs> you will be completely done with idols. So much so that you will weep and plead with the Lord, seek the Lord, and say to the Lord, where's the way back? Oh, you weren't saying that 70 years ago. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, I, I asked Jeremiah about this. Uh, he was very clear in no uncertain terms that when he tried to tell you about the whole idol thing, the idolatry, which is why you were taken captive into Babylon, it was Babylon being the instrument of God's chastisement on God's people. We're going to see that in a moment. And it's going to work. When the time comes, you'll want nothing to do with idols. And interesting, idolatry was never a part of Israel's history subsequent to the Babylonian captivity. So the time's come. You ready now? I am. Because 70 years ago, you were telling Jeremiah, nah, it's not going to happen. All the false prophets were mocking, ridiculing, threatening Jeremiah, saying, ah, don't listen to that doom and gloom prophet. Ah, we're not going to be taken into captivity in Babylon. That, that's ridiculous. Well, you're not saying that now. No, we're, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. There's a repentance here. There's a turning here. Verse 6, my people have been lost sheep. This is sad, heartbreaking. Their shepherds have led them astray. Oof. Every pastor should have profound pause with this verse, myself included. Should give us pause. This is what James referred to about pastors and teachers being judged by a much higher standard. The shepherds have led them astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. All, verse 7, who found them have devoured them, and their adversaries said, we have not offended, because they have sinned against the Lord the habitation of justice, the Lord, the hope of their fathers. Oh, really? 
Well, I think God's going to have the final word on that. This is probably as good of a time as any, and I mentioned it at the beginning, but can you imagine how much hope this would have given Judah at this time? This has now been a time of 70 years, and God says, okay, time's up. The 70 years has been satisfied. The day has come. I'm going to judge Babylon and restore you. You are? Yeah. I, Jeremiah tried to tell you that 70 years ago. Uh, you have all the prophecies recorded in the scroll, and you did not take heed. But now this is life and hope. This is the word of life for you. This is your hope. God's going to restore you. This would have been so encouraging. Here's where I'm going with this real quick. This applies to us. How? Here we are in this world. <laughs> but we have the prophetic word of God, the promise of God. Says, I'm going to deliver you out of the world. I'm going to take you out of the world when the time comes. And that day will come, and on that day I'm going to take you out. You be encouraged, and you encourage one another with these words, as Paul would write to the Thessalonians in chapter 4 concerning the rapture. You be, you be strong, and wait on the Lord, and, and take heart, and don't lose heart. And here's your hope, your blessed hope, your only hope. I'm going to deliver you. Oh, I, I, this is a, a word fitly spoken. The timing of this would have been perfect. At the exact time, I, I want to hear this, and this is what God is doing for them. And so too does God do this for us. Verse 8, move from the midst of Babylon, go out of the land of the Chaldeans, and be like the rams before the flocks. For behold, verse 9, I will raise and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north country. There's that specificity again. And they shall array themselves against her. From there she shall be captured. Their arrows shall be like those of an expert warrior. None shall return in vain. And Chaldea, verse 10, shall become plunder. All who plunder her shall be satisfied, says the Lord. That sounds pretty strong, right? You get the impression that God is going to satisfy those who plunder Babylon. Wow, that's uh, interesting. No, because as we're going to see, they abused God's people. Because, verse 11, you, speaking of Babylon, were glad because you rejoiced you destroyers of my heritage, because you have grown fat like a heifer threshing grain, and you bellow like bulls. You're disgusting. Oh, sorry, that's not in there. Verse 12, your mother, oh, we're going to bring mom into this, yeah, shall be deeply ashamed. She who bore you shall be ashamed. Behold, the least of the nations shall be a wilderness, a dry land and a desert. Because of the wrath of the Lord, she shall not be inhabited, but she shall be wholly desolate. Everyone who goes by Babylon shall be horrified and hiss at all her plagues. Notice with me that Babylon would be on the receiving end of God's wrath for taking undue pleasure as the instrument of judgment on God's people. They enjoyed it too much. They enjoyed it too much. And they took it too far. And again, that should be of great encouragement for us as Christians in these last days in this world, not of it, in it, this world, not our home, <laughs> where we've long overstayed our welcome. Uh, God takes note of how we're treated. And 
if they take delight, well, God will have the final word on that, as He did with Babylon. Put yourselves, verse 14, in array against Babylon all around. All you who bend the bow, shoot at her, spare no arrows, for she has sinned against the Lord. Whoa! I, I thought this was against God's people. No. That's, that's against me. You know, Romans, if God be for you, who could be against you? Well, that goes both ways too, right? If God is against you, who's going to be for you? Okay, answer, this is rhetorical, no one. <laughs> You're done. Toast with a capital T, <laughs> and a capital toast too. So, uh, because you're against the Lord. Shout, verse 15, against her all around. She has given her hand. Her foundations have fallen. Her walls are thrown down. This is why we know that this is a yet future fulfillment. Because when the Medo-Persians took and captured Babylon, the walls remained. In fact, they regrouped there in Babylon. And by the way, these walls, whoo! I mean, you want to talk about, I want to say it's the equivalent of uh, three or four stories high. And they were wide enough to where they would have chariot races on just the width of the walls. <laughs> that, that's, anyway, I said this. That was, um, I don't know why I went there, but can you imagine? And, and here we have a prophecy that, uh, oh no, we're just going to, we're just going to, they're going to get thrown down, knocked down. No, but have you seen those walls? No, this can't be literal. Oh yeah, it is. It will be. For it is the vengeance of the Lord. Take vengeance on her. Listen, as she has done, so do to her. Cut off the sower from Babylon, and him who handles the sickle at harvest time, for fear of the oppressing sword, everyone shall turn to his own people, and everyone shall flee to his own land. That's not the first time that's happened. Israel, verse 17, is like scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. First the king of Assyria devoured him. Now at last this Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon has broken his bones. Wait a minute. I thought you had chosen and ordained Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon to do this to your people. Yeah, but not that. Uh, he was the instrument in my hand, but he took it way too far. Therefore, verse 18, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will punish the king of Babylon and his land, as I have punished the king of Assyria. But, oh, how much hope would this give them? Verse 19, I will bring back Israel to his home, and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan. His soul shall be satisfied on Mount Ephraim and Gilead. Wow. When now? Really? Wow. Here it is again, verse 20. In those days and in that time, says the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought, but there shall be none. And the sins of Judah, but they shall not be found. For I will pardon those whom I preserve. Wait a minute. Again, Lord willing, chapter 51 next week, we're going to read even more detail concerning Israel's sin. The, 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 the imagery, the language is such that sin had filled the land. Sin had filled it to overflowing, but God forgave them. The, here the, the imagery is the, the, the iniquity of sin. It was searched out. Let's, let's pull up the iniquity file of Israel. Oh, it's empty. There's nothing there. There shall be none. Why? Because um, I pardoned them. 
I've forgiven them. I'm going to restore them. God is a forgiving God, a restoring God, a merciful God. And, and this is a two for one. Can I say it like that? I just did. Hope you don't mind. It's, it's a double whammy, if you prefer. You've got simultaneously the judgment on Babylon and the restoration of Israel. I love it when God does that. I think we have a saying for it. It's probably not a very good comparison, but killing two birds with one stone. Yeah, that's what he's doing simultaneously. Go up, verse 21, against the land of Merathaim, against it and against the inhabitants of Picod. Waste and utterly destroy them, says the Lord, and do according to all that I have commanded you. A sound of battle is in the land, verse 22, and of great destruction. How the hammer of the whole earth has been cut apart and broken. How Babylon has become a desolation among the nations. I have laid a snare for you. You have indeed been trapped, O Babylon, and you were not aware. You have been found and also caught. Because, and here it is again, you have contended against the Lord. This is deliberate. They knew what they were doing. They were very aware of what they were doing. They were disobeying the Lord. They were contending against the Lord. And now the Lord, this is, wow, verse 25. I want you to really use your God-given imagination on this, okay? The Lord has opened his armory, whoa, and has brought out the weapons. This is, this is God's weapons cache and armory uh, with all of his weapons, which is what an armory is, where all the arms are. <laughs> Sorry. Been a rough week. So the Lord has opened his armory and has brought out the weapons of his indignation. For this is the work of the Lord God of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. You know, I was just uh, thinking about this, reflecting on this. Uh, when I was uh, just, I mean, a new babe in Christ, I had just given my life to the Lord. I was just born again. and couldn't get enough of God's Word. I didn't have a Bible. I went out and bought one, and I couldn't put it down. And I read all the way through it. I started in Genesis, and I'm living by myself in my apartment. And I remember when I got to Jeremiah 50 and 51, actually the whole book. And of course, I'm a blank slate. I have no clue. I would learn, of course, later as I matured in Christ and grew in grace and, and the knowledge of the Word of God. But as I'm reading this for the first time, I'm going, oh, oh, I don't, man, they must have done something really bad, because God is really mad. <laughs> and that, that was my takeaway, and I guess at that time, and they did. This was really bad. And that's why God is really mad. It's called <laughs> the righteous anger of God. It's righteous. It's just. It's fair. And I'm kind of prefacing beginning in verse 26, because it gets worse. <laughs> Come against her from the farthest border, open her storehouses, cast her up as heaps of ruins, and destroy her utterly. Let nothing of her be left. Slay all her bolts. Let them go down to the slaughter. Woe to them, curse to them. For here it is again, their day has come, the time of their punishment, God's timing. The voice, verse 28, of those who flee and escape from the land of Babylon declares in Zion, the vengeance of the Lord our God, the vengeance of His temple. Call together the archers against Babylon, verse 29. All you who bend the bow encamp against it all around. 
let none of them escape. Wow, that is, sounds to me uh, like this is uh, deja vu all over again. <laughs> uh, they were encamped around Judah. Well, now they're going to be encamped around all against. And uh, this would be very foreign territory for Babylon, who was heretofore invincible. No one even dared. But no, that's what's going to happen. Repay her according to her work, according to all she has done to do to her. For she has been, now watch this, proud against the Lord, against the Holy One of Israel. Pride, fall, arrogance, destruction. Did you make that connection? There's no exceptions. Therefore, verse 30, her young men shall fall in the streets, and all her men of war shall be cut off in that day, says the Lord. Behold, verse 31, I am against you, O most haughty one, says the Lord God of hosts. And here it is again, for your day has come, the time that I will punish you. Again, by application, we're on the other side of this. We're God's people, a preserved remnant. We're God's people. He's going to deliver us, restore us, rescue us, take us out when that day comes. And that time will come. Oh, it's not to punish us. It's to redeem us. It's to punish them. Now, I'm going to mention this just parenthetically. I've shared it before, and it's, um, again, I would just ask that you hear my heart. There is a sanctified strength in this, because I know that they're going to get theirs. Because right now, they're kind of, they're pretty arrogant. They're not pretty arrogant. Who, who's they? Oh those that are against the Lord. We talked about that in the prophecy update, the common denominator last week, is that all the nations rage against the Lord. They plot, they conspire in their haughty, arrogant pride against God. And the day is going to come, and I can't wait. And I know I get blasted every time I say this, whatever. But I'm asking the Lord for uh, reservations for a front row seat. I'm just saying there, just pray for me. I mean, I know that's so, you're just, you're a horrible, unloving pastor, whatever. Yeah, yes, yeah, you guys have done the same thing. You're going to have to sit in the row behind me though. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, wait a minute. No, there's a biblical, I, I should have never opened up that can. But no, there's, uh, there's a biblical basis for that, where God's people are going to see the righteous and just judgment of God Almighty. And we are going to have, <laughs> in effect, a, a front row seat, because it's at that time that, and I would imagine at this time, when that time came, they just glorified God. They just, thank you, God. They worshiped God. They praised God. Thank you, God. You, you, did, you did have the final word. And that time did come. It, it was looking kind of iffy there for a while. <laughs> like they were going to kind of get away with all of this. But no, you were, you were just right on time. See, if it was our timing, we would have done it. Well, I would have done it in 2020, for sure. So would you have to, so, right? Some of you would have done it in 2019. See, time's up. That's it. Nope. Nope. That's it. The day has come. No, but the Lord is, uh, His timing is perfect. Uh, this year would be good, Lord. I just, you know, as a suggestion, not that God takes my suggestions, but you never know. All right, where were we here? We're almost done. Hang in there. Verse 32, the most proud shall stumble and fall, and no one will raise him up. 
I will kindle a fire in his cities, and it will devour all around him. Hey, God's going to destroy this world with fire. We're going to see that in Peter. Uh, verse 33, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the children of Israel were oppressed. Along with the children of Judah, all who took them captive have held them fast. They have refused to let them go. Oh, that's reminiscent of Pharaoh in Egypt. Uh, didn't end well for him. So, oh, I see what you're doing. Well, you're going to have to answer to God on that one. And they did. Their Redeemer is strong, verse 34. The Lord of hosts is His name. He will thoroughly plead their case, that He may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. Uh, notice conspicuously absent from this prophecy and this narrative in this passage is any mention of Judah or the Israelites meeting out their own revenge. No, vengeance belongs to the Lord. Don't you try to step in and help God out. I know you want to. I'm just as guilty of that. God, let's do this. No, no, I'll do it. No, but when? In my time. No, but now. No. Well, can I just help? No. Because I, I, can I be there? Okay, maybe. It depends. <laughs> but uh, no, I'll, I'll, I'm going to, I'll take care of, I'll meet out. Because see, your revenge, <laughs> you know the, the eye for the eye, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth? It comes out of the, uh, the um, uh, Pentateuch, the law. Uh, and when Jesus uh, repeated that and kind of raised the bar, actually threw the bar away. <laughs> he said, you've heard it said, you know, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I tell you. See, this is what was happening. Uh, someone knocked out a tooth. They wanted to knock out all their teeth. Uh, they, they, you know, uh, knocked out your eye. I want both eyes. See, that's what our vengeance is. It's disproportionate. We don't want to just get even. We want to one-up. Okay, that's all I'm going to say on that, because I'm very convicted. Verse 35, a sword is against the Chaldeans, says the Lord, against the inhabitants of Babylon, and against her princes and her wise men. A sword is against the soothsayers, and they will be fools. A sword is against her mighty men, and they will be dismayed. A sword is against their horses, verse 37, against their chariots, and against all the mixed peoples who are in the, her midst. And there were many. And they will become like women. A sword is against her treasures, and they will be robbed. A drought is against her waters, and they will be dried up. For it is the land of carved images idolatry capital of the world. And they are insane with their idols. Whoa! They're insane with their, they've gone crazy with the whole idolatry thing. They're just in, this is insanity. Therefore, verse 39, the wild desert beasts shall dwell there with the jackals, and the ostriches shall dwell in it. It shall be inhabited no more forever nor shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. As God, verse 40, overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighbors, says the Lord, so no one shall reside there, nor son of man dwell in it. Behold, a people shall come from the north. That's like the third or fourth time now we've had this specific detail. And a great nation and many kings shall be raised up from the ends of the earth, not just the east with the Medo-Persians. They shall hold the bow and the lance. They are cruel and shall not show mercy. Mercy is reciprocal. One of the most misquoted verses in all of the Bible, next to the love of money being the root of all evil, not money, is when Jesus said that if you are merciful, the measure of mercy that you use will be the measure of mercy that's used on you. 
If you're merciful, you'll be shown mercy, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That's not in the context of money, that's in the context of mercy. And it's, it's so just gut-wrenching that you have televangelists, you know, using this to get money from people. If you'll give to God, God will give back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I did that too good, didn't I, maybe? Really? That's not money. It's mercy. If I show you mercy, I'm going to be the recipient of mercy. It's, it's reciprocal. And because you were merciless, you will be shown no mercy. Because you showed no mercy they shall not show mercy. Their voice shall roar like the sea. They shall ride on horses, set in array like a man for the battle against you, O daughter of Babylon. The king of Babylon, verse 43, has heard the report about them, and his hands grow feeble. Anguish has taken hold of him, pangs as of a woman in childbirth. Behold, he shall come up like a lion from the floodplain of the Jordan against the dwelling place of the strong. But I will make them suddenly run away from her. And who is a chosen man that I may appoint over her? For who is like me? This is God talking, by the way. Who will arraign me? And who is that shepherd who will withstand me? I love it when God does that. Uh, by the way, again, rhetorical. The answer, no one. No one. Therefore, verse 45, hear the counsel of the Lord that He has taken against Babylon, and His purposes, this is important, that He has proposed against the land of the Chaldeans. Surely the least of the flock shall draw them out. Surely He will make their dwelling place desolate with them. At the noise of the taking of Babylon, the earth trembles, and the cry is heard among the nations. The nations. Hear, O Israel, hear the counsel of the Lord. If you'll hear, you'll hear what His purpose is that He's proposed against the land of the Chaldeans. Well, what's the purpose? Well, this is how the chapter ends, with a timeless word, so that the whole world would hear God's word in and through God's perfectly timed judgment on Babylon, both then and yet future. That's the purpose. And that's the purpose of the timing of it too. Because it would happen in that day, on that day, in that time. And all of the nations will know the cry is heard among the nations. Ezekiel 38, a very well-known prophecy concerning the invasion of Israel from the north, uh, commonly referred to as the Battle of Gog and Magog. Do you know what the purpose of that is? If you'll read towards the end of, in fact, it might be the last verse in, in chapter 38, Ezekiel. The purpose of it was so that all the nations on earth will know that I am the Lord your God. Okay. <laughs> that, that was the, yeah. That's why, yeah. That's why you did this when you did, yeah. Because all the nations, this, uh, ugh, I hate the clock. Can I just say one last thing? Okay. Okay. The earth trembles. This is language that you find in the book of Revelation at the time of the end. And that time is going to come. That day will come. And all the nations, 
every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The only problem is that confession will be unto damnation, not salvation. When we confess, when we bend our knee and confess with our tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord, it's for salvation. But at this time, when that time comes, it will be for damnation. And there will be no question. All the nations on earth will know, and they will tremble. And again, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't wait. Lord, come quickly. All right, Capono, come on up quickly. <laughs> and you can stand up and we'll pray. Thanks for your patience. You guys are so gracious to me. I did my best with this chapter. Gnarly, yeah? You good? Okay, good. Father in heaven, thank you. <laughs> this is uh, tough stuff, but wow, good stuff. Oh Lord, I, I just want to thank you for your word. And I thank you for Bible prophecy. And as uh, strong as this is, I, I thank you for the application of it to our lives. Lord, I thank you for the much needed reminder of how your timing is always perfect. In the end, that day is going to come. We believe soon and very soon. And that time will come when it's time's up, time's up. The days come, that day, that hour. And Lord, we long for that. We look for that. We eagerly, fervently desire, as you said, while celebrating the Passover in the upper room with your disciples, as we're going to celebrate next week with the communion table. You said it twice, Lord, that you eagerly await, you fervently desire to partake again when you're in your kingdom, when this finds its ultimate fulfillment. And that's what we have to look forward to, and that's how it ends for us. So Lord, thank you. I pray that we'll take this encouragement to heart, that it would strengthen and encourage our hearts. Lord, thank you. We love you so much. In Jesus' name.